0: of a Red Sox nation, it's a kind of a family, wherever I roam, a Fenway home, that's where I long to be, I'm a member of a Red Sox nation, it's a kind of insanity, yeah, I live and die with Red Sox pride for eternity, I fake a smile November until home. Covering baseball with drama round the block. When it book up payments down on your way. Last with red
1: suspicions on the rock. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Benny and the Bets podcast covering Boston. Red Sox baseball. For everyone staying up late tonight on Periscope, the podcast can be found, as always, on iTunes, Spotify, Spreaker, Player FM, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, and literally everywhere. We are extremely widely available, so look for us on your favorite uh, media sharing app. I am Terry Cushman, and I'm joined, as always, by Jeremy Schilling and Liz Churchville,
2: how are you guys? Good so far, but uh, uh, I'm anticipating a problem with your take on um, Stephen Wright's <laughs> substance, a uh, 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 drug uh, suspension. So, well, what's uh, what's Liz anticipating?
3: Uh, I'm anticipating you guys fighting and yelling with each other because I know we've talked about Peds before and it didn't go well. But uh, otherwise, uh, I'm great. Well, it, it went
2: well for me because I was right and Terry's wrong. So, But anyways, <laughs> we'll pick that up at the, whatever segment he decides to bring that, that one up on.
1: Well, actually, we will uh, go ahead and just get started. That is the news of the day, the biggest story of the week. Probably the biggest story of the last couple weeks is Stephen Wright testing positive for PEDs, and if I read it right, he has already uh, gone through his appeal and will just simply begin the automatic 80 game suspension. That also will mean he is ineligible for the postseason. So, you know, game 162 will be his final appearance for the year. And just before we do get started, I've seen a lot of. misunderstanding on Twitter, maybe misperception might be the better word. And a lot of people are getting confused on what he actually failed for. Now, for the casual fan here, there's basically two types of steroids. There's the anabolic steroids, which make you a lot more physically stronger Elevates your performance, you know, makes you like the Hulk, for lack of a better term. Guys like Alex Rodriguez, Roger Clemens, uh, possibly Mark McGuire. Mark, McGuire, Mark McGuire, excellent, uh, excellent example. Uh, maybe even David Ortiz all were taking these at some point. And then there's human growth hormone, which is basically used to expedite your healing uh, from injuries and it, it helps you recover and and maybe even from surgery as was likely the case with Stephen Wright. He had a major uh, surgery, cartilage restoration surgery about a year ago and then had some setbacks which led to a more minor arthroscopic surgery. Same thing with Dustin Pedroia. They both had a lot of setbacks and, um, and then Wright, you know, t- got caught with a, a human growth hormone type steroid and, uh, you know, and, and tested positive over the winter. So, Jeremy and I, as we'll get into, we you know, we, we're pretty far apart on, you know, what we think is acceptable and what isn't. But even on my end, where I'm extremely anti-steroids, human growth hormone is by far the lesser of the two evils. So, hopefully, if anyone was confused about, you know, what... Type of steroid was what you get a little bit more clarity uh, with that now. So, uh, Jeremy, go ahead. What were your thoughts? How surprised were you? And uh, you know, what what do you expect from here?
2: Um. Well, before I answer your question directly, if you're think if you're sitting there listening to this podcast and you're like, I'm I'm mad at Wright. I can't believe he did this. How mad are you at Edelman? Because he got popped for the exact same thing. How mad are you at Andy Pettit? He did the same thing when he had an injury late in his career. Um, Rodney Harrison, for a long time, uh, uh, Patriots fans. These guys did HGH to get healthy. With Harrison, Edelman, and now Wright, it's all the same thing. It's a knee issue that they could not get over the hurdle and get healthy. They took what I may even believe is doctor's advice to take this this drug that is – helps people get healthy and they got healthy and um you know i was a little bit surprised and and i usually have a pretty good grasp of the rules to hear that he's ineligible for the postseason as a result so i'm going to look into that that was i I didn't know that now um am i surprised no he could not get over the hurdle He, he he couldn't get over the last step of his recovery he comes back pitches one or two outings last year gets hurt again comes back pitches one outing it's hurt again he's on the postseason roster didn't pitch in a game because when he's getting ready for the start of the ALDS he got he it flared up again uh, flared up on him again and he's out so is it shocking that he took the step to to do what he had to do to get healthy no it's not do I blame him no I don't would I have done it yes I would um now um I'm just look anabolic steroids and HGH are two different things and I totally agree that they're two different things. I don't have a problem with either of them. I I can understand an argument on the anabolic steroid issue. I can't understand the argument on the HGH issue. It's about health. It's about recovery. It's not about muscle growth and steroid or baseball it's not it's not about overgrown biceps and 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 uh thigh muscles that pull off the bone because they're so strong that the ligament can't support it hgh is about healing and promoting healthy body parts so i just i don't i don't understand anyone who has a negative inclination with hgh i personally think it should be legal we spend a million millions of dollars on these athletes we all spend a ton of money um you know, I'm an out-of-town Boston Red Sox fan. I spend a lot of money on the MLB package and everything else. I want to see the best athletes play the sport, and if HGH keeps them on the field, then I'm all in. And uh, and I'm frankly shocked that anybody wouldn't be. Um, it just it's surprising to me, and I refuse uh, to believe that it's uh, it hurts baseball to have people using HGH. Liz, what were your thoughts?
3: Uh, honestly, I. Didn't know very much about Stephen Wright uh, until this article. I don't know if that's shocking to anyone at all, uh, but and then when I when I saw him, I was like, "Oh yeah, knuckleballer." But I didn't even think he was playing anymore. So I started looking at his stats, and it's interesting how late. He, I feel like he started really late in life, or it look, kind of looks that way. And he never really, except for 2016, like pitched that many innings. And I guess he was an All Star that year. Um, But what it made me think was, you know, was he potentially using that whole time, you know, to try to prevent injury? Maybe he knew he was prone, you know, something like that. I don't know. But he always seemed to, you know, obviously I saw also the suspension he had for the uh, domestic violence thing. Um, So that obviously kept him from getting innings. But do you think that's a possibility and why he, you know, he just kind of said, you know, yep, I, I don't think. I made a bad choice. I forget what the exact wording in the uh CBS article for his quote. Let me try and get it. But uh but like you said he didn't fight it. You know, he he didn't try to appeal. He just said, know oh, all right. You know, I'll go ahead and accept the suspension." Kind of a thing. Yeah, because he
2: because he did them to get healthy. Who the hell would blame him for that?
3: Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I I don't necessarily get it either. Um And I mean, I get the steroid thing, just like you were saying, Jeremy, because it does make you stronger. But at the same time, it doesn't help you hit the ball better. Like if you don't see the ball, or you really can't pitch that well, let's say it's not going to necessarily help you do, you know, those things better. But you still have to be good. Like just maybe you get a couple more, you know, miles an hour out of your swing or out of your pitches. And, uh, well, those and are so
1: those uh, are more anabolic steroids that you're talking about as yeah. far as the performance goes, and, and uh, yeah. you know, like yeah. we were saying with Wright, it, it was more of a it was more of a recovery aid on mm-hmm. his part, and you know, kind of like where Jeremy was going with it. I mean, he's 34 years old, and was like you said, he's a late bloomer. He his first, his rookie year was 2013, and he only appeared in let's see four games that year uh six games in uh 2014 and then 2015 he uh appeared in uh 16 uh, nine of those were starts and then 24 starts in uh 2016 and then uh only only five in 2017 and Four starts yeah. in in twenty eighteen with uh with sixteen other relief appearances and w- w- with w- I don't believe he was taking these all along I I mean he had a pretty bad surgery last year a lot of setbacks and really like I said he's thirty four years old and it was simply a last resort I. I mean, he, he gave the standard line, oh, how did those get in me? You know, that type of thing. I will give him yeah. credit, though. He didn't go the Chavis route and, and invoke God, you know, and everything. But um, but it, it was a last resort, and he probably thought where it was the offseason, probably wasn't going to get caught, but he did. And... And part of the reason why I'm not going to take a really strong stance on on this instance, and, and I'm, I'm sure I will in future ones, but in my mind, he wasn't going to – we weren't going to get a lot of, out of him this year. I mean, I, I feel the same way about Dustin Pedroia. That and both have been on record since then in just recent weeks saying if they could do it all over again, they wouldn't have had that particular surgery, and – it's very possible they might never recover from this. Like we might be seeing the last games of their careers this year. And I just feel like, I just honestly feel like it was a last resort and he he was just doing what he could do. Wright hasn't made a ton of money. I think he was slated to make like 1.4 million this year where 80 games is essentially half the season, just two games short of half the season. Um, he'll get half of his pay because you also it's all suspensions PED related, uh, you know, are unpaid. So, um, you know, he was just just trying to milk the last bit out of his career and and uh, got busted. And like I said, I you know Jeremy and I have gone back and forth. And, you know, I'm a, an extreme pessimist with this bullpen. I feel like. You know, when we with, look at
2: with just the bullpen, when we,
1: when we, well, for the most part, you know. So we'll get to Chris just Sale just...
2: in the third segment, but, <laughs> but um, look, I I, I feel bad for Steven Wright. I mean, he hasn't made a ton of money. I don't think he's I don't think he's made like more than two. I mean, you know, you look at you you think professional athlete, you think oh that they've made enough. They've made enough money for. Himself or herself and the next generation. That's not what's happened to Stephen Wright. Like, he's an everyman guy. You know, if you're a doctor listening to this podcast making $400,000 a year, you've made more money in the last five years than Stephen Wright. So, I mean, this isn't some guy that's, you know, I feel bad for him. One, I don't fault him at all for trying to do whatever it was going to do to get him healthy, to make his salary this year, he gets popped shooter, shoot, got no problem with it. Um, I, I, feel bad for him. Um, now, now with that said, you know, and he's still with his wife, the domestic violence thing. I, I just want to be very clear. You know, that whole thing is a separate distinct issue. I do have a problem with that part of Stephen Wright now to get to the on field product. We've talked about this exhaustively in what has been the lamest offseason in the history of major league baseball. This team has eight major league ready, big league guys to to be a part of any rotation. We happen to be the Boston Red Sox, we have an embarrassment of riches, we're not the devil race, thank God. Um unnecessary ricochet uh, ricochet shot there, Liz. I apologize for that. Um Bring expect last. Okay, good, glad we're on the same page. <laughs> um this actually if you're a Red Sox fan and we can put away like the personal like I feel bad for Steven Wright stuff um, this actually helps you know he's not we don't have to DL him we don't have to designate him for assignment we don't have to trade him we don't have to do anything now this means that we have one less it, it, it log in the log jam now that doesn't mean we still don't have a problem i mean you're probably going to have to put Velasquez in the bullpen so he stays within an organization because he's out of options um, you know and and some other sort of situations where you may have a guy that's going to have to play outside of his comfort zone to keep him on the big league club because he's out of options because that's kind of where we're at right now with Brian Johnson and Erod and all these guys so um, if you're Dombrowski you're probably looking at well Tim Wright just helped us because now this just one less issue we have to deal with as far as you know, who's going to be on the 25 man on opening day? Now, it, it's one of those things where the issue will take care of itself because by the time Stephen Wright is able to come back, you know, you're probably going to have a couple guys nicked up where he can now come back and you may have a couple guys that need to go on the dl or someone that's not pitching well and they dfa them or they or or someone that is uh that is promoted and ultimately has options left and you can send them back down so these things always have a way of working themselves out and one of the things that's worked themselves out is right got popped for peds and he's not going to be uh, a part of the log jam and and the issue with the 25 main roster
1: Well, Velasquez had options, so, you know, in a pinch, you could have sent him down. Uh, Brian Johnson, like you said, out of options, so is Wright. Uh, Like I was alluding to, though, in my mind, I was already moved past Wright. I just, I don't have any faith in the type of surgery he had, especially reading their quotes in recent weeks. So I'm already looking more towards, you know, some of the younger guys, Lakens, Brewer, the guy we got from uh, Chicago there, his name escapes me, coming off of Tommy John. You know, these guys, for the most part, look like they're going to be durable enough. It's just whether or not they're fit, whether or not they can pitch in Fenway, whether or not wakens is really ready for the big leagues. He, His numbers suggest he is, but we won't know until we see it. And then a lot of people are still expecting uh, Durbin Feltman, who is probably going to be the ninth inning guy for... A while, you know, if he pans out, similar to like Papelbon, we got like five or six years out of him, but he could be up midsummer. So those are really the guys I was looking at. You know, I kind of feel bad for Wright. It's just amazing how effective he can be when his knuckleball's on. I think he he was a better he was a better pitcher than Tim Wakefield. Really, that was a very violent knuckleball, no pun intended. You know, with his other suspension, but but he had a very formidable fastball as well and it was just able to keep guys off balance and he had like a 2.78 ERA last year most of it was out of the bullpen he did have a a couple of deep starts though so that probably helped pad it a little and then surprisingly he had a 0.66 ERA in I think seven or eight appearances in the month of September. So I was pretty surprised when, you know, it it was determined that, you know, his knee wasn't going to be healthy enough for the uh, postseason, you know, given his numbers and how bad of a dumpster fire our bullpen was in the month of September. Joe Kelly had an eight something ERA, if that says anything, but um But, you know, the talent is definitely there. I think he's a career 377 guy. So it's just unfortunately, you know, he just wasn't blessed with a lot of durability. And and at 34 years of age, I just I don't see how he's going to find it, you know, at this point.
3: Well, going back to my question about if you think he was maybe taking something all along, I I found the quote that kind of makes it seem like maybe there was something. I mean, I don't know how often uh, players get tested, if they get systematically tested every year, if it's just totally random, you know, or or what exactly is going on. But it says, uh, uh, although I do not dispute the 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 validity of the test, I was shocked as I have never intentionally ingested anything for performance enhancing purposes.
2: Okay. Bullshit.
3: I mean, well, that, that's a, well. I mean, what's he supposed to say? I mean, I'd love to hear a player, you know, say, "Oh, sorry, you know, my bad. I was doing it for whatever reason." And you know, no matter what they say, they're still going to get the same suspension. I, I wish they would just be honest about it. But uh, but that's yeah. what makes me think maybe it was something. I mean, I, I don't know. But my other my other question was since Pedroia had the same surgery. And, of course, he's, I don't know how old Pedroia is, old, old as hell. But, um, I mean, do you think he'll be tested and watched a little bit closer now because of that? I know you guys hate him, but.
2: I mean, I, the thought has crossed my mind that he could also get popped for the same thing. The only thing I would say that if he was taking them to get healthy, it was last year. Um, and the testing would have had to be last year. I mean, he I think he's been healthy for six months. Um. So I just think that to the extent he was, and I don't, again, I don't blame anybody for taking HGH to get healthy, um, and especially when your body is your asset. I mean, look, most people in the United States, their asset is their mind or their skill, right? To be a professional athlete, your body has to be healthy to do your job, you know whether you're a plumber and, and your knee hurts, but you can still do the plumbing services or you're a doctor and your hands are good even though you had a knee injury from playing racquetball, you can still do your job. Like this is a totally different situation. not that you should feel bad for these people because they make billions of dollars most of the time but their their ability to do their profession is tied with toe to the top of the head health and if you if you don't have it, then you can't do your job. And so I just refuse to believe that any one of us wouldn't do what they, you know, and if Pedroya did it, then I, I would understand 100% why, and I think most people would agree with me. Um, you know, so, but at this point, I think the, 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 the time frame that Pedroya would have resorted to HGH use has come and gone, and he's passed the testing point of it. Uh, with
1: Stephen Wright, I kind of just pulled up some info. Uh, he, he did fail in the off season. It wasn't specific as to exactly when. And the Red Sox were only notified by Stephen Wright last week. And then he lost his final appeal last night. So that gives us a little bit of an idea what the, the time frames were. I'm more surprised that he wasn't up front with the Red Sox just in case they may have decided to pursue
2: some type of contingency plan, but um, you know. Well, they but, have contingency plans in, pl- plans in place. They've got depth at, at, at you know at that spot.
1: True, and you know they seem to you know, you know with a lot of the moves they made, they're basically trying to find at least one more Ryan Brazier type guy. So um, I don't know, but. Nonetheless, you know, we're not going to we're not going to see him until right around the All-Star break. Uh, any any final thoughts on? Uh, nope.
3: nope. I think nope. it's been um, touched. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and uh, definitely going to be heavy pitcher talk today. Uh, I had this on my list and then Terry had it on his, so that worked out perfectly. I, I saw an article uh, about erod you know not doing so hot his last i think it was monday and uh you know cora was you know criticizing him i think he went out and he was only out like two innings and he threw 41 pitches or some along those lines uh and it it said that you know they he pretty much believed cora pretty much believed it was maybe just a little hiccup you know for him but uh what did you guys think about it
2: I mean, I don't, I, if, you, if you're counting on Ale, uh, Eduardo Rodriguez for 34 starts, you're out of your goddamn mind. He, he catches lightning in a bottle. He, he shows flashes of being potentially even a front of the rotation guy, but he's just not. He doesn't put, put it together. I don't count on him. Um, and, and the thing that just pisses me off with him generally is he's not a strike thrower. Like He's the Dice K Matsuzaka recipe for, for failure. You know, five innings, 103 pitches, you know, four walks, three hits, two earned runs. And it's just exhausting watching him pitch because the games take forever. I, I, I don't dislike Erod, and I don't question the player's desire to be good. For whatever reason, he can't put it together, and it's just exhausting to, 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 to watch it. The, the fact that he's already kind of in some sort of rut and, and struggling to the point where the manager publicly criticized him – um, it's not surprising because at this point it's how else do you motivate a guy who to this point can't be consistently motivated for whatever reason whether and motivation mean I'm going to admit right now motivation may be the wrong word but he he's not successful on a consistent basis and I don't understand it because obviously the stuff's there the talents there but he just can't do it and I think it also goes to show that they're expecting him to be something more than he's been in the past. And so I think Cora is trying to motivate him, uh, which I like. I like that you you should be able to criticize your players. You should be able to criticize your athletes, and they should respond positively. And I think he will respond positively, and I I do think he's going to be a – I think he has an ability to take a step forward over what he's been. Whether he does it or not, we'll see.
1: Uh, what were your thoughts, Liz? I mean, you kind of alluded to it at the start, but, I mean, as a manager, I mean, you, you've you've seen several years of Joe Madden. You're seeing Kevin Cash, you know, be really innovative and, you know, show a, kind of a different style of leadership. I mean, wh- what were your thoughts, you know, when Cora kind of, you know, made that somewhat of a public issue? Uh,
3: I mean, honestly, I... Uh- I I don't know. Like I I haven't been watching you know watching them you know quite as much as you guys, so it's difficult for me to, to form too much of an opinion. I mean, I've definitely been saying like from the start since I started uh, doing this with you guys toward the end of last season. You know, I'm looking forward to this next season to kind of see it all the way through and be able to form a better opinion on, on each player. I mean, I've never been a huge fan of of a coach publicly criticizing anyone. I feel like those conversations. They can say, you know, hey, he had a he didn't have a good game. We're going to work on things. But uh, I feel like those are conversations that should be had, you know, behind closed doors. Maybe a quote, you know, to a to a beat writer or something like that. Uh, that that's not the worst. But you know, to, to give interviews and and say things like that, I, I don't I don't know that it motivates players. Maybe it does for some, but discourages others. I don't know. I feel like it could add to their frustration, you know, more than anything. But um, it sounds like, from what Jeremy is saying, the hiccups aren't so much the bad times, but maybe the good. You know, like he's maybe not, not bad all the time, more mediocre most of the time, like Matsuzaka is. And then, you know, he has bouts of being really great. You know, it's just it's inconsistency.
2: I'd like to respond quickly to the idea that you can't publicly criticize a professional athlete. I didn't
3: say can't. I said I'm not a fan of it.
2: All right, so I apologize for, for misquoting your comment. I didn't mean to do that. Um, one of the things that I think w- works against managers in major markets is – now, Terry Francona was a mastermind at this, all right, because he, uh, he avoided a ton of criticism when he, was being succe- when he was successful and before his last season. If someone sucks and they're in a pattern of bad play, to sit there in front of an, a question saying, why does Erod suck? It insults the mind, not of the reporter or the media, but of the, the fan that's listening to the podcast to say he doesn't suck. So I personally think that you, you gain credibility with the fan base when you're able to say tactfully, okay, that someone sucks. So if Erod sucks and everyone can see he sucks, to come out and say he doesn't suck, it, you – Fans roll their eyes at that, and that's what happened with Farrell. So um, I personally find it refreshing. Now, if you have athletes that can't handle that, then they shouldn't be part of your franchise if if you have a manager that's willing to do that. We have a manager that's willing to do that. And so you need to have the athlete be able to withstand the criticism if it's so obvious that he would be basically – you know he would be lying to say, hey, look, he doesn't suck. So the athlete's got to say, yeah, I suck. I understand why the coach said that. I don't. You don't have to go over the top, but you also don't have to make up some some narrative that he doesn't stink if he's stinking. So I personally think it creates credibility within Alex Cora. I think the fan base trusts Alex Cora as a result, and I don't think the trust in Alex Cora is just limited to him winning a World Series recently. I mean, he's he's fair. He's honest. He he says what's true and what the reasonable fan is thinking. And I think that's why he's so revered at this point in his career.
3: Well, I'm not saying I'm not saying don't say that he's great when he's not. But I'm saying you know you can say someone's struggling and you're going to work on it, and that's kind of a softer way of saying he's sucking right now. And then having those harsher discussions and being critical to the player. And if the player wants to say, Hey, I feel like I suck today, then that's that's on them, you know. But I mean, who should the manager be pandering to and working with, you know, the does he really care about gaining the fan base's trust? Probably not. He should be worried about gaining the player's trust and the player or excuse me, and having the player trust his Decisions on, you know, on uh, how he's being coached and what he needs to work on. I know there's pitching coaches for that too, but nobody really goes to them as much and talks to them about it. But still, I feel like the fan base is the last person Alex Cora is worried about.
2: I respectfully and hopefully with tact disagree. The customer is the fan base. He is the leader of the the franchise. It's his job to endear himself to the fan base to make sure that season tickets are purchased, game day tickets are purchased, the Inescent package is purchased, and he's the voice to the franchise because on a daily basis he has to talk to the media, which is projecting to the fan base. So um, I, I think that it's extremely important that a manager be honest and open with a fan base. Danny Ainge with the Boston Celtics, I listen to him every Wednesday morning on Toucher and Rich on 98.5 The Sports Hub. The guy is like... To the point where at times I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe he's saying these things. I'm not saying be Danny Ainge. Um, And he's not Danny Ainge. He doesn't pretend to be Danny Ainge. And he doesn't come out and say Erod sucks. He does it tactfully. Uh But it's important that your customers, the people that are paying the money to watch the games, to go to the games, to buy the merchandise, to buy the hot dogs, to buy the beers, the people that are ultimately responsible with the revenue that pays your salary are feel like they can trust the leader of the franchise. And I feel like by doing this, the fan base trusts Alex Cora and thereby trusts the organization. And so um, I just, I, you know, now I'm not saying I'm right. I could be wrong. I could have this all wrong 100%. I'm not, you know, so I admit that. But that's the way I personally view it.
3: I have... I really don't think you're losing your fan base anytime soon. Now talk to me about losing a fan base. I think I know a little bit about it. I don't know that, you know, Kevin Cash coming out and basically saying all of his players are sucking for every season that he coached except for last year, of course, uh, you know, would have helped our fans come. But Boston and Tampa, as we've said at length, probably two entirely different markets. So maybe it's the market. Maybe the Boston market, you know, likes that. I mean, you guys are kind of gruff. Uh, you know and that's what you know people want to listen to in fact I guess I enjoyed Boston radio the little bit I lived up there uh, because it was always funny no matter how much you guys won you still wanted to criticize your freaking teams that's just the way that it was but uh but hey
2: I, I'm, I, I'm I on get
3: tempo with a with a you know mediocre medium to small market team so what do I know I,
2: I well I think you know quite well, maybe, a bit,
3: not, but... maybe not maybe not mediocre but you know
2: but i you're not I think you know, I think tonight. you know quite a bit, Liz, and my and I want to let Terry chime in here. I don't mean yeah. that he has to say every single person stinks. I'm yeah. saying when someone's not performing up to their ability, mm-hmm. you lose credibility if you say if you can't admit that. I mean, look, we're the last two franchises in Boston that have finished their season have won a championship. There's not a lot to criticize, but if in the process there are a player here or a player there that are not performing to what they should be performing to i think it creates credibility within the fa- within the fan base to say tactfully not like not like i'm saying like hey rod you stink no you know like we expect we ex- you know tactfully like for example You know, he gets in front of the media, he's asked a question, he says, look, we're expecting a lot from Erod, he's going to be in our starting rotation, we want him throwing strikes, we want him getting to six or seven innings per outing, we expect him to be successful, and he hasn't been recently. That's tactful, that's still saying we believe in the player, but it's also creating the credibility with the franchise that I'm trying to describe. It's not like, hey, uh, uh, is 0 for 4 today, I'm going to go, I can't wait to get to the press conference and say he sucks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just saying like, you know, generally if there's a pattern of subpar performance that it creates credibility by acknowledging it instead of just pretending like which what Farrell used to do, which was he would just blindly say, oh, hey, you know, I just don't see it that way. It's like, hey, uh, Farrell, he's over his last 32 with 17 strikeouts. He hasn't been good. You know, I'm not saying say he's not going to get better, but you can't sit here and say he's been fine. He hasn't been fine. He's zero for his last 32. So, I mean, look, I, uh, Liz, we obviously this might be our first real disagreement, which you know don't hate that, but um, I hope you understand that I'm not I'm not I'm I'm speaking a little bit more specifically than maybe I initially said when I made my point.
3: Mm-hmm. No, no, I get it. Well, and the fan base are different, but I'll I'll let Terry talk.
1: Well, I, I have mixed feelings on it, you know, and earlier in the segment, you know, where, you know, Jeremy, you say it's refreshing, you know, I, I agree with that, you know, to a point. And it does, it does seem encouraging that, that the manager, you know, is addressing things and, and recognizing problems and, and being open about it. But, I mean, Boston could be a shark tank for some guys. I mean, some guys just haven't made it, you know, in Boston, you know, and they just got eaten up, and it just didn't work out. Kind of similar to, you know, Sunny Gray in New York. That was a probably a more extreme case, but you know, Kimbrel never really got comfortable here. Mark Melanson was is always my favorite example. He just he was good before here. He was great after here, but he just couldn't handle it and. And, you know, I just worry a little bit, you know, where, you know, a guy like Erod, if the manager comes down on him, when the fans are coming down on him and who knows what's going on with with his teammates. It's just it's a really fine line. And Alex Cora does have a lot of credibility because he was a World Series winning bench coach won the World Series last year as a manager. So he he does bring a lot of credibility. It's not like Bobby Valentine coming in on his second week and then God. calling out Kevin <laughs> Euclis. Like this situation doesn't, you know, compare to that and, and Erod isn't nowhere near as established as Euclid. So I just kinda hope that, you know, there's there's a balance here. And a lot of Red Sox fans, if they haven't accepted this yet we're not gonna we're not gonna be a 108 win team this year we might very well win the division again but it's gonna be a grind and it's gonna be a race and you know we might have the lead in April and May we might lose it for June and July get it back in August and then it's kind of a dogfight till the end and Alex Cora you know he's probably the stars aren't going to align as perfectly as they did last year in a lot of ways so we're going to see him, you know, handle different, you know, situations on the field differently. We're going to see him probably face a little bit more scrutiny, you know, from the media in certain situations. So there's a lot we haven't really seen yet. And one thing that does make me a little uncomfortable with Cora is he's a little bit like David Price where he he does listen to the media because during the playoffs he was quoting WFAN in New York, and that's, you know, that's the, covers all New York teams. And I forget what they were saying during the Yankees series, but Alex Cora made it a point to call them out. So if he's actively, you know, listening to media and it's, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of rattling him in a way, you know, and maybe it could be in a positive way. It was in a positive way this year. It might not be in different situations, so there's just a lot we don't know. And and I, like I said, I I just hope we we see some balance. And with Erod, I mean, I I had his stats in front of me here, and I was looking at the games started, and I was kind of surprised to see that he had started 23 games because he was on the DL for a little while, and then when he came back, he wasn't. He wasn't really utilized so much as a starter, necessarily. But in 23 games, he only pitched... uh, My tablet's getting all funky. Uh, He only pitched, like, 129 innings in 23 starts. Like, this guy is not an efficient guy. And that's what Alex Cora was kind of criticizing him for. The exact quote was, and it was a fairly strong one, the exact quote was, he's old enough... He's been in the league for a long time. It's time for him to step up. So there's there's a lot of things going on, you know, in a quote like that because it's, it's the inefficiency like I was just talking about, but he's also had a couple of semi-serious injuries just doing the most mundane things, jumping up to snag a, a fly ball during batting practice, you know, basically took him out for a season and a half he was never healthy and then had surgery this past uh, you know like the off season before this so about a year ago and then and then he had that collision at uh, you know first base where he was running to cover the bag he kind of hopped over the runner came down twisted his ankle and that was effectively the end of his his season and I've always been an Erod apologist, and the guy we saw in game, what was it, game four of the World Series, when he had to start, there was no other options except for him starting, and he was one out into the seventh inning with one run ball, and then he gave up the unfortunate home run to Yasiel Puig, and and you know, I, I kind of blame Cora for that because before that game started we're just hoping to get four or five decent innings out of erod and there he is pitching in the seventh and and cora kind of left him in too long but that's the erod i want to see when i was an erod apologist that's the erod i thought we were going to get and we've only had flashes of him so we're gonna we're gonna talk about some other pitchers here in a second but um you know you got Chris Sale. A little bit of durability concerns there. Avoldi's had a couple of serious injuries. We need Erod. As crazy as Jeremy says we are, and we're probably crazy to to believe it or hope for it. But we need him to to start 28 or 30 games, and hopefully go at least six or seven innings in some of them because as worried as I am about the bullpen he can't be coming out of the game one out into the fifth inning because he's his pitch count is already at 105 like what we were seeing last year so so those are my thoughts you know on his performance and with the manager calling him out I guess I'm okay with it for now but I hope there's balance and and you know we we've definitely had worse managers you know like the one before him so <laughs>
3: I want to know your thoughts, Terry, on on uh, Jeremy saying that you know it's the manager's job to kind of pander to the fan base a little bit. Like, do you think?
2: Whoa, whoa! I didn't say pander to the fan base.
3: You didn't say the word pander. Okay, so I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You misquote me. I misquote you. You know, things happen. It wasn't along those lines. What
2: what I said was, I appreciate a, a a manager that speaks to the fan base with honesty and what and based on what we're seeing
3: you said that the fans are the customer and the manager is the head of the employees and so they have to say what's going to attract the fan base who are, are the people that buy the tickets and the hot dogs and the beer and Oof. nest and the fat and the uh, MLB TV I don't, TV and I don't all know
2: that. I don't know if that's exactly what I said. That
3: is exactly what you said. No. I what, went, roll what, roll what, tape, Terry. You what, said something along those lines. What,
2: what I, look, <laughs> I, I, I'm all for criticism, and I'm also all for revisiting what I said mm-hmm. um, and because that doesn't sound like what I said. What I said, or what I think I said, was <laughs> it's refreshing to have the leader of the Boston Red Sox say what everyone's seen, so if a guy, and I think I use the example of a guy who's in the middle of a 0 for 32 slump with 17 strikeouts, for him to get up there and say, "Look, he's a positive influence on our lineup every day," and that, that that's not true. No, he hasn't been good. But at the end of the day, we think he's a he's going to be a positive effect on our lineup. You know, I'm not saying shit on the player, but I'm also not say sit there and say this guy's been good when he hasn't been. I mean, look, Boston, Boston sports right, wrong, or indifferently are praised for their for their relative understanding of the game, their sports intelligence. It, the people that fill Fenway Park and turn on Nesson every night, at the end of the day, those are the customers that pay for this multi-million dollar enterprise. So I, I, I'm not saying pander to the, to the fan base. But you can't also just do what Ferrell did, which was insult our intelligence, by saying something that anyone with two eyes could see is not the case. So I appreciate that Cora has the ability and the trust of his players to say, look, we're not getting what we want out of Erod right now. That's not to say he's a shit player and we're never gonna, we're going to trade him tomorrow and he's gonna stink and he's not a major league player no it's look we expect a lot from this player and he's not meeting what our expectations are And if you have an athlete like for example I think Chris Sale is that athlete I think JD Martinez is that athlete um, that that would agree with you that yeah an 0 for 32 is not acceptable with 17 strikeouts. Like, I have to be better for this team to be successful. So if the managers and the player are are understanding each other, then he can say things like that to the media and not upset the player, but also not insult the fan base. And that's what I meant. I hope that's a better explanation because I I do not feel like my mindset is he has to pander to the fan base. That's that's absolutely not what I meant to say.
1: There was no bigger John Farrell hater than me. And uh, like I point out, you know, the first – 20 episodes, I think tonight's a, the 116th episode that I've done for roughly the first 20 it was the Fire Farrell podcast and so no nobody hated him more than me and you know, some of the things you know, like, you know, you were getting at Jeremy, you know, there was some integrity issues with Farrell because I, I remember David Price going through a bad stretch and he just got utterly shelled one night and Farrell told the media he said something like, this was one of the better starts he's had all season. And an instant firestorm happened, and it lasted for you know, 24, 48 hours. And I think that was in 2017 as well. So things were kind of souring anyway. But but he just he wasn't honest. And then there was just the thing I also hated about Farrell was he would play favorites big time. And he loved Matt Barnes for whatever reason. And Dave Dombrowski had to... had to. I can't remember if he optioned him to Pawtucket in August of 2017 or if he DL'd him. But whatever the move was, it was to take him away from John Farrell. To prevent Farrell from constantly going to him in the 8th inning and, and blowing up games. And I remember in 2016... Farrell kept going to Tizawa and he had gotten into an argument with Brad Ziegler. Ziegler apparently confronted Farrell in the in the clubhouse and said, Look, I'm not comfortable coming in with guys on base. I don't care what inning I come in, but I'd rather it be a clean inning. And apparently there was you know, there was a heated discussion between the two. And then not long after that, Ziegler Kimbrel supposedly wasn't available, so Ziegler was brought in for the ninth. Farrell let him get two outs, and then just to spite him, goes to Kimbrell for the last out, brings Kimbrell in for one out, nobody on base, Ziegler mowed down the first two guys, and I, I, it's just one of the many things I didn't like about John Farrell, and I think that's one of the reasons he lost his clubhouse, you know, Dustin Pedroia, I hate him just as much, but those two weren't getting along at the end. David Price, another guy I hate, you know, shocker, but he wasn't, he wasn't getting, <laughs> they, they were clashing, and, and, and Farrell basically lost the team, and there were a couple of big controversies, and he couldn't, you know, he couldn't right the ship with those either, you know, with Machado and Eckersley, so um, we've seen bad leadership, and Truth be told, I feel kind of silly about this now, but after he got fired and it came down to Cora and Gardenhire, I was really all for Gardenhire. I was really impressed with what he did with the Twins, and he was a players manager, and he, like Francona, he, he got, you know, he got a little bit more, you know, from a little bit less sometimes, and and I like that, and I'm in hindsight, I'm glad he went with Cora, but but, at the end of the day, I kept telling myself when it did when it did eventually go to Cora, I kept saying, feral haters can't be choosers, you know, and at least we don't have him anymore and and the one thing that comforts me about Cora is he's he is willing to think outside the box and he'll he'll address issues, maybe not the way you know I always prefer, but at least he does something and and doesn't keep you know, trotting like like with Francona constantly going to Daniel Bard in that collapse year and Bard blew like well he gave up four leads in the month of September, which, you know, just give us back one of those, you know, we're in the playoffs, but but, you know, that was one example there and and Farrell wasn't really, you know, outside the box much at all. And he never would have utilized the starters like Alex Cora did in this Previous postseason, I am a million percent convinced. If John Farrell was the manager of that team, we probably lose to the Yankees, and and he would just find a way to fuck it up. And and you know, so luckily, you know, like we said, we we had a manager that could could figure it out. But you know. We'll see, we'll see. I, I hope Eduardo Rodriguez has the best season of his career. One of the things Red Sox fans can tell themselves is, who saw Rick Porcello winning a Cy Young, you know, after that 2015 season? And I'm not saying Rodriguez can, but there's, you know, there's no reason he can't have 20 quality starts. And, and well, yeah, there probably is a ton of reasons why he can't. But but he can at least exceed our expectations to, to some degree.
3: All right, uh, I think we've think we've gone, gone over Erat as much as uh, as much as we can. So let's move on to the next picture, I guess. Uh, Terry sent over an article um, to me earlier, and it was about you know Chris Sale uh, or the, his possibility of being extended, you know, with the Red Sox and everything, or getting an extension uh, done. Uh, of course, there wasn't really anything definitive in there, but uh, there was a quote, you know, him saying that uh, money isn't the most important thing. And then uh, when you started reading through it, he talked about how he made all a lot of his decisions when he was younger, you know, based on what he thought, you know, was best for his family. Like, it was almost uh, like, hey, I'm in this situation, and I've got a, a wife and a kid. I'd do things differently if I was single. Uh, granted, he's been in the league a little bit longer, and, you know, things are different for him by the next Do you think, do you think, uh, no, no, it's all good. Uh, do you think, you know, family is gonna, you know, come into play in this? I mean, I know he hadn't been with the Sox very long, so it's not as if his family, you know, is necessarily established up there or anything like that, but uh, do you think that that's going to be part of it for him potentially or, you know, now with the the potential to have such a, you know, another reasonable contract, uh, you know, maybe with another team or maybe getting a, a reasonable extension that that's. Gonna be a you know money. He's saying money doesn't matter, but it really does. You know, kind of thing. Wow. Well, what are your thoughts? For y'all's thoughts.
1: Go ahead, Jeremy. I I got a ton of hot takes on this.
2: Oh, I'm here for Terry's hot takes. Um, I personally, so I'm a family man. Um, I have two children. I'm married. Uh, to my wife, we've been together since college. Um, so no one understands what's best for like the, 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 the discussion of what's best for family. Um, when you're making $15 million a year, I think that what's best for my family narrative can be a shield to, I want to make the most amount of money possible. Um, what's best for your family is. Is not fifteen the difference between fifteen and eighteen million dollars a year? I'm sorry, it's just not. I mean, unless you want to admit that you're so focused on your heirs that your great great grandkids never have to work again, because that's I mean, it's the I mean, he's made sixty million dollars to this point in his career, um, according to spotrack.com. dot com. So I just I refuse to believe that it's a family decision. Now I do think there are family decisions that come into play. For example. Ray Allen had the health of his child come into play in the middle of his tenure with the Boston Celtics and uh, from what I knew at the time he initially re-signed with the Red Sox before he later signed with the Miami Heat because of the Boston area hospitals and their intertwined relationship with his child and, and uh, some something he was dealing with at the time. Uh, and there's been other examples whether it be a wife that's from the Massachusetts area, or um, from time to time, you hear that a certain player is staying in Massachusetts because of the school system, and that their kids are a part of the school system. That I believe as a reason to take maybe less money to stay to keep your family in a position where you know kids are living the same life with the same friends in the same school and the same commute. But if 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 those aren't the considerations, the every man or woman considerations, right? Like school and location and, uh, consistency within raising a family. I refuse to believe that there's some 15 to $18 million or $21 million difference that somehow has an effect on your family. With that said, I don't know the answer with Chris Sale. He's a private guy. Um, I don't know about his kids. I know he has kids cause I've seen them in pictures at, at spring training. Um, I don't know anything about his family. Um, I don't know that he's wielding it unnecessarily versus something that's that's realistic and I just don't feel comfortable suggesting one thing or the other because he's not open and honest or not, I shouldn't say that. He's not open about it to the point where we know. So if, if there are real world considerations he's considering, uh, then I hope that whatever decision he makes is truly best for his family. If it's a shield to, I want to make the most amount of money, then I hope that Basically, he signs a three-year deal for $45 million or $60 million in that range and stays with the Boston Red Sox.
1: And it could be as much as, you know, 90 on a, on a three-year deal. Um, but I, I have a lot of problems with signing him on March 6th. You know, he pitched the fewest innings he had in his career as a starter last year, right around 150. He was basically useless after mid-July. You know, he he went to the All-Star game, went immediately on the DL, came back for one start, back onto the DL. And we didn't really see him until late September. He was used as an opener once or twice. Then I think they stretched him out to three, four, five innings, and then he ended up being the game one starter against the Yankees in the playoffs. And he wasn't the same guy. I mean, he couldn't locate his fastball. His velocity was the slowest it had been in his career. And this was after several weeks off. Plenty of rest. And and then in the playoffs, he still couldn't locate the fastball. He was getting guys out mostly on his slider. He didn't look good against the Yankees. I mean, he kept us in the game, which I guess, you know, is is fair enough. He lost game one against the Astros. That ended up being the only game we lost that series. And I can't remember if that was the belly button flare up or not. But um, and then game one of the of the World Series, again, didn't look great, but kept us in the game. And I just think it would be insanely stupid to sign him early when we have this entire year to do our due diligence, to see if he can pitch for all six months and, and be effective those last couple of months. He wasn't even sharp in 2017 in in August and September. I mean, he was the, the surefire Cy Young on July 1st. It, it was just an absolute certainty. Chris Sale was going to win the Cy Young. And then he, you know, he, he hit the shitter down the stretch and Corey Kluber ended up, you know, taking it, you know, in the, in the last few weeks. So I would just like to see him pitch a full season, hopefully be effective in the playoffs. And then if he really loves the Red Sox, as much as he says he does, he'll still be willing to talk about a contract in the offseason. And, if Chris Sale last year, say the injury never happens, and say he, he pitched that full season 200 innings and wins the Cy Young, if all of that happens, the extension we're talking about right now is probably for six or seven years at huge money, similar to a price contract, maybe minus one year, And but because that didn't happen last year, and because he's injured, he's probably just looking to get paid. He he just wants the guarantee at this point. And I just, how stupid is it going to look if, if he goes on the DL in June or July and just isn't effective, and then guess what? We have him for at least the next three or four more years beyond this. I, I just think that's incredibly stupid. The Yankees, Aaron Hicks is a position player, they just gave him a seven year contract. He's only pitched more than a hundred games twice in like six years. And he might be on the DL to start the year because he's having back issues. And they have him for seven more years. Not at a lot of money, fortunately. I think it's only about ten million a year. But they they only $10
3: million.
1: they might have they might have just repeated the Ellsbury mistake and, and who they're basically hiding away from everyone to simply collect the insurance money which they would not get if he was starting games so i just uh, and, and here's one other thing and then i'll let you guys weigh in again it was very well talked about just prior to us getting him and the as the 2016 season was coming to a close that he could he could have issues with his mechanics you know i mean uh, i think a lot of people were expecting it to be more with the elbow but he's got a really awkward violent delivery and there was concerns about him long term but people were saying well it's only for 3 years it's only for 3 years so there's not a ton of risk with a shorter window like that well guess what you know a year and a half into it the motherfucker gets injured like like we were all worried about and If we don't beat the Yankees, I know, you know, I know we beat them and, and, you know, at the end of the day, that's all that matters. But if we do get bounced in that round or even against the Astros, how confident are we with Chris Sale? Like how relevant is a contract extension on March 6th, 2019 with with already a short sample size of injuries and ineffectiveness in the second half of the year? I just, there's just no need to rush this. We have the whole year, and we can still sign him at the end of the year if it works out.
3: I mean, do you think Sale could make it, like, obviously Sale's the only one who totally knows what's 100% going on with him physically, that, like, he might take less money from the Red Sox because he knows something could happen, and he wants to guarantee that money for his family?
1: I think he does. I think uh, he he probably, like Jeremy said, would take a three or four million, uh, excuse me, a three or four year deal, probably in the neighborhood of at least twenty million a year. I don't think, you know, I don't think he would sign for less than that. So you're talking probably sixty to eighty million over the course of three or four years at a minimum. And I think he wants to do it. If look at Justin Masterson, that's another example I like to use. He was a righty, had a funky delivery. In his walk year with the Indians, he was injured. And, you know, and his he just didn't have a ton of value going into that offseason. So he took a one-year flyer with the Red Sox to try to rebuild his value. And then he was DFA'd by, I think, late May. And he hasn't played in Major League Baseball since then. That was 2015. So, I don't... I mean, that scenario is probably not really realistic right now with chris i think he's a gamer i you know i think he's going to be around for a few more years no matter what but but if he falls off that same cliff he just blew possibly 80 million dollars and i just so i think he wants the shore money right now
2: well i don't disagree with terry here um I don't know that you necessarily need to rush into a deal right now. If you haven't offered him three years and $45 million or something, some good faith offer like that, then you're out of your mind. Because risk – and again, I don't disagree with Terry. And I know some people that that have listened to this podcast for some period of time may be shocked by by that. But (laughs) if – if he wins the cy young you're not getting him for less than 25 28 30 million dollars a year and in which case there's no chance he signs oh. so there has to be Terry do you want to jump in there well i think
1: i think it's entirely possible you know if he wins the cy young i think the red Sox could very well lay down i mean he he'll be 30 so it might not be a 7 year deal but it would be at least 5 at at big money 5 At 30 30 million a year yeah that would be 150 i I would consider that a big contract now
2: i look any negotiation is you know in any settlement or any agreement is typically you know less than the employer wants to pay i'm sorry more than the employer wants to pay and less than the the employee wants to earn right that's the nature of a resolution um and I think it would be silly for the Red Sox not to use the current leverage they have to try to get a team-friendly deal. Now, even if they say, like, let's say the low watermark is three years, $45 million. It's not without risk, okay? It's not. Like, there's a chance he blows out his shoulder. There's a chance he never he's never healthy again. But you have to compare that to the upswing of him winning a Cy Young and being what we all know that if he's healthy, he's capable of doing, which is 20 wins, high one ERA, you know, a sub one whip and just total dominance. And if that happens, then your inability to try to come to a resolution now is going to foreclose you from having the opportunity to sign the player at all. Because there's some team out there that's going to pay this guy if he wins a World Series three to five to six years at the $30 million mark. If you haven't offered him some number that at least begins with $15, $18, 20000000 million a year for three years, you're out of your mind, Boston. You have to do it. And maybe he accepts it. And in which case you have a player who then may win a Cy Young and you can say, holy shit, look at this team-friendly deal we have. We have this, the reigning Cy Young Award winner, a guy who is an elite player, and we signed him at this team-friendly deal at a time where it was appropriate because he was coming off an injury. Now, I think it's equally likely that Chris Sales is betting on himself and doesn't want to negotiate at those numbers. Even if the Red Sox have offered that, he's not even countering it because he thinks he's going to go out and dominate and he's betting on himself, and he thinks he's going to get that $30 million. So I don't think it's necessarily just the team's fault. I don't think it's necessarily the player's fault. I don't know that we really know what the story is. I'm just saying if you're the Boston Red Sox, offer him three years, $60 million. Put it out there. Say, Chris, you have some some health issues. We really think this is a fair number based on your health concerns and your performance, and – I would even make it public so that the the fan base knows you're trying to do right by the player, by the fans, by what's best for the program. And three years, $60 is a fair number to me, which would put pressure on a guy like Sale, especially if he's not – if he feels like he might have some concern for health, that you may get a player for less than he's worth because of some of the other ancillary concerns, like, for example, with Sale, his health. So – i mean it's just not so clear cut every deal with a professional athlete is is risky i would think that one of the concerns they may have on the back end that maybe some fans wouldn't care about is the um, insurability of the contract um, because all these contracts are insured obviously the premiums are different based on the risk and the underwriting of the contract uh, of the policy chris sales uh, policy on whatever contract He signs would be high given his, his Injury risk and that may be one of the Ancillary issues that's preventing Neil From happening at this point
1: Here's a quote uh, Well this comes from a, a, An Alex Speer article with the Boston Globe and he writes uh, And it came out today It says sale suggests That there's a serious effort to Work out an agreement Sale says I think we're both mutually invested in this. We've both said that on both sides, that it's a possibility for sure. And he says, obviously this go around is a little different than the last one with the contract situation. And he says, we have a couple of different scenarios. So that tells me that there has not only been talks, but there's probably been some pretty advanced talks. And if he's talking multiple scenarios, that tells me that they are considering at least a relatively short term deal. And maybe that's at you know a higher annual value where it's where it's short term. So I can only speculate. I mean Bryce Harper turned down three years 120 million, 40 million a year. Obviously Sale isn't gonna get that money, but if we're thinking he's a twenty million dollar a year player for for you know three years, you know that's sixty million overall. Maybe maybe it becomes you know three years, you know seventy five million something like that. I don't know, but um, you know where I'm in the camp of let's let's be patient. Let's do our due diligence. You know let's just see what 2019 has in store, and then we'll do the extension. Those quotes make me extremely nervous. And the time to watch for the extension, I, I notice this happens every year. The last 24, 48 hours going into opening day, you will see a flurry of extensions uh, or, sign. yeah, <laughs> extensions. Uh, Rick Porcello was a recent notable one uh, going right into 2015. And there was even a quote the day before he signed. He said, "Rick," uh, It said, Rick Porcello will not negotiate during the season and I think they even gave the impression that all talks were done with and then lo and behold 24 hours later there's an agreement in place so um, you know so it could happen over the next few weeks and I feel I honestly feel like more likely than not it's going to happen so it's
2: and hopefully it works out but Look, I I agree. I think he's going to sign. I think the admission publicly that he wants it to happen um, leads, I think, to the conclusion that he's willing to take less than what he could potentially get in free agency. And I like that, and I respect that. And I understand that the team's taking a risk by – Signing an agreement with a player that has an injury risk but he's still an elite guy if healthy and if he stays healthy and we can all disagree on maybe what the percentage chance that that occurs but if he stays healthy he is potentially one of the top five three arms in all of baseball so the fact that he's willing to not do what basically Mookie Betts is doing which is saying I'm going to go maximize my value I respect that I look I like that he's committed to Boston. I think I like that he likes Boston, and I like that he wants to play here. And if he's worth $30 million a year and he's willing to take something less than that to stay here, I don't know how any Boston Red Sox fan can have a problem with that. Now, if it's at seven years, we can all agree, let's have a problem with it. But if it's at three years, then I just think it's inherently reasonable given the upswing Of this particular player's talent and his desire to play in the city.
1: And it could be, it still could be four or five years. Uh, You know, I mean, I'm not ruling anything out here. Hamley Ramirez's contract was for four years, and just remember how painful that was. And it wasn't even like, it wasn't even that horrible, you know, compared to the Sandoval contract, which was for an extra year beyond his. And, you know, actually this year will be the final year that we're paying. Uh, Panda, but we just... I'm just tired of bad contracts with this team. That's why it's so painful. And let's face it, Dombrowski made a lot of dumb decisions in Detroit. That Miguel Cabrera contract is one of the worst current contracts going right now. And then he signed Prince Fielder to that monster deal and by the grace of God was able to unload him to Texas and and they were the ones who got burnt on that but a lot of a lot of bad decisions there and you know the Anibal Sanchez deal that didn't work out that was like 5 years 80 something million with Avoldi this year I wasn't a huge proponent of that either but he went 4 years nobody else was willing to go 4 years so we might have been able to get it for just 3 with a lower overall value but he he went the extra year there. He just he just I don't know. He just likes to retain his guys and and there's just a lot of risk. Like I said, we knew the risks before we traded for him, and then he got injured anyway. And here we are. You know, we're possibly gonna gonna extend him. I meant to go on you know and look up some of the free agents. I know Madison Bumgarner is a free agent next year. I don't know who else i don't really think there's many elite arms uh you know hitting the market in the next year or two but but you know that's what it is
3: all right well i guess i guess that's that's about all i i think we could say any any closing thoughts jeremy
2: uh, no, except that if Terry and I disagree, I'm right and he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs>
3: that'll, that'll always, that'll always be it. Well, definitely. Hang on, um, before whenever you guys do agree, I'm the surprised person. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I think we're going to agree a lot, you know, especially if, if, you know, the year ends up being a struggle. What about the, uh, before we do wrap, what about the Bryce Harper tampering thing going on right now where the, the Angels have actually filed a complaint with Major League Baseball that, that Bryce Harper's basically already, you know, negotiating um Trout's exit from Anaheim, you know, even though he's got a couple of years left this year and next year, you know, to set up a possible extension from uh, you know, uh, I mean a possible mega deal with the Phillies. You know, what what are your thoughts on that real quick?
2: Go ahead, Liz.
3: Uh, I mean honestly, I was going to I was trying to look and see like as far as what tampering, you know, exactly is, you know? I mean, I I guess I get it. Like, they think that, uh, you know, that he's swaying his choice. I don't think a player like Trout, you know, if, if he gets a better offer from another team, I don't think he's going to go with the Phillies, uh, you know, because of it. But we, we all have to agree that these things are going to happen behind closed doors anyway. I think it just maybe in a way makes the whole, uh, you know, free agency process um, look a little bad, you know, and maybe make Trout a little less desirable as a trade, because Harper's put it out there in the open. Um, But, I mean, the Angels have always been a little bit of a laughingstock. Not that I don't think they should try and keep Trout, you know, because, I mean, he's the face of the franchise, you know, and everything for him. But I feel like he's just making a a private exchange between two players public. And how, how could he not say something like that? I think it's really interesting that he wants to play with Trout. Obviously, he thinks playing with Trout will give him the opportunity to win a ring obviously. And I know Harper uh, would want that. And so would trout, but, um, I mean, they're both constantly compared to one another. Like everybody's going to be asking him that, you know, trout's going to be up for free agency soon. Like Terry was saying. So, you know, what was he supposed to say? You know,
2: um, the angels need to grow the fuck up and stop being a big baby about it. Um, I, I agree with a lot of what Liz said. Um, the Angels basically are saying, we agree. We have no chance of signing this player. Um, and we don't know what to do but to make an arbitrary and pointless complaint to Major League Baseball. Hey, hey, Bryce, please don't talk about our player because we know we can't sign him. Like, hey, Angels, here, here's a better plan of action. How about you hire people that know what the fuck they're doing Hire and pay for players that are competitive and be competitive in the West. And then maybe Trout would want to stay. You know, how about try that route? Instead, you're going to bitch and moan about some, some guy who just signed a con- – he's been an employee of the Angels for about three seconds, and he happened to say in his press conference that he feels – look, hey, anybody who watches sports sees Trout in an Eagles jersey on Sundays – and sees him in a 76ers jersey uh, during the NBA games that don't that aren't during the baseball season, and if you Wikipedia him, you know he grew up there and that he still I think resides there. Like, you know, it, to me, it's just pathetic. And the Angels organization take, takes a dip in my eyes about handling it like a basically a child, uh, which, by the way, I don't necessarily fault because I've handled things like a child on this podcast before David Price's <laughs> start in the ALDS game, too. Um, but honestly, that's the way I looked at this. Like it's a total like I rolled my eyes so hard I almost passed out. That, that's how I look at this. Um, so i mean it's just pathetic i think the angels organization looks stupid i think they look pathetic and and and, and petty and all the things like just build a winner and he'll want to stay you know i mean seriously
1: well i mean i can't really disagree jeremy and i are going to be thunder buddies before you know thunder buddies for life before long here but um, no, no no we won't <laughs> but um the angels don't deserve mike trout Let's face it. I mean, look. just look at some of their signings this offseason, which I, I have no doubt they're trying to compete this year. And here are some of them. They started off with Matt Harvey to help their rotation, the guy who no-showed to a baseball game because his girlfriend dumped him, ironically for Julian Edelman. But still... They signed Trevor Cahill, another guy okay with the Angels last year, but not great and lacks durability. Cody Allen, who was just an absolute dumpster fire for Cleveland, and then you know a couple of lesser signings. Just uh, Jonathan Lucroy, decent catcher, not you know not the best by any means and. Justin Bauer, I mean, these are the guys that they're trying to surround Mike Trout with, and quite frankly, I think he's sick of losing. And, you know, if he ends up with Philly, I mean, somebody's going to go crazy for Mike Trout. And, you know, I mean, Philly showed a lot of restraint. I mean, They, their owner was quoted by saying, "We're gonna spend stupid money this year. We're gonna spend a lot of money, and we're gonna be stupid about it." Was the exact quote. And they passed on Manny Machado, who I thought was the better player. You know, the bigger douchebag, but the you know long term, the better player. You know, compared to Harper, you know, more durable. And I don't know. I just I, I like his talent a little more. And. And, you know, they they passed on him because the price got too high and then they got all the way till I think it was March 1st before they finally signed Bryce Harper. So they, you know, they did use quite a bit of restraint this year. And if somebody goes crazy and I mean, the the Angels owner is pretty stupid as well. And, and, And I showed this to Jeremy. This is how the Albert Pujols negotiations went back when he signed just prior to the 2012 season. And and he has the same agent as Dan Lozano. Lozano, uh, the same agent, excuse me, as uh, Manny Machado, who is Dan Lozano. And uh, Lozano was uh, talking to the, the Angels owner, Artie Moreno, over the phone. And Moreno says to Lozano, he goes, hey, will Albert Pujols take $160 million? And Lozano goes, well, I, I don't know. I'll have to talk to him. And then immediately... Artie Moreno goes, well. How about two hundred million? And Lozano goes again. I still, I still have to confer with my client on this one. And then Moreno says, all right. Well, how about two hundred and forty million? And then Lozano agreed to the deal. He's like, okay, that'll work. And and so, ten years, two hundred and forty million for Albert Pujols. So, so if if um, Moreno comes at Trout with like four hundred million. You know, maybe maybe it gets signed, and and that would make Mookie Betts day because now his bar is a little bit higher, especially if he wins another MVP in the next couple of years. But but uh, like you know, Jeremy said that the Angels they, they need to focus on being better at baseball. You know, versus what their chances are of signing Mike Trout and one player doesn't isn't going to necessarily make a difference. You know, it, one he's. He's never even won a playoff game, Mike Trout, and he's been in the major since 2011. So, I mean, that just goes to show you. Maybe, maybe, maybe it's better to simply trade him and get, you know, boost the farm. I don't know, but but being a better baseball team should be their utmost priority. And you know, the, the fact that they're so fixated on trying to sign him just tells me they're more worried about selling tickets than they are, you know. You know, doing what the Astros have done, what the Mariners are now doing, and 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 so many other teams. So, well. I, I
3: think if if you could look for any better example of how one player isn't going to make that much of a difference, uh, you know, in a team, it would be Mike Trout and the Angels. Yeah, because he's been basically nothing but freaking awesome since since he started playing. You know. Uh, and clearly, you know it's it's not enough.
1: And, and another thing too, if, great, great point, Liz. If, if, total, totally agree. If Trout does go to Philly, that doesn't mean anything, you know, to the Red Sox because we're not we don't have to worry about the Phillies until we get to a World Series and. You know, for Mets fans, Nationals fans, Braves fans, that might be worried. Oh my God, that you know Harper and Trout might be on the same team. Well, Red Sox were thinking the same thing when the Yankees got Giancarlo Stanton, the reigning MVP, you know, who can hit forty bombs just about every year. And guess what? You know, the Red Sox beat them three to one in the playoffs. So even having them on on the same team, you know, might still might not translate to. An automatic World Series. We've seen teams, you know, that appeared to be too big to fail actually fail. So I'm, um, you know, it's it's not even going to be the end of the world if he does go to Philly.
3: I think it'll be interesting to see those egos on the field because both of them play outfield. Like, I th- like particularly if one starts to uh, starts to fall off, you know, a little bit, or you know, uh, you know, miss the balls or. You know, maybe their batting average drops a little bit, or any any type of criticism. You know, I, I know Trout's a real demure like guy, I guess, if that's the word that I can use. But um, where Harper isn't, but uh, it'll be interesting. It'll make me watch the Phillies a little bit more if there's both. I mean, I'm going to try and pay attention as best I can. While while I'm already trying to watch two East Coast teams at the same time, which will be difficult enough. But um, but seeing them both together. Uh, is pretty intriguing to me something interesting uh that i was looking at too is when i was talking about this with my husband yesterday is uh he's like he's like does philly have that kind of money you know (laughs) to have to support both of them on a on a you know on their roster and uh on their payroll and i was like hmm i have no idea let's go back and look and see what kind of money you know philly was paying and uh or philly has spent excuse me and um it was interesting because last year, I want to say their payroll, and of course, I'm using only you know uh, in the loosest form of of using it. Uh, their their payroll in 2018 was 96 million, and they were like ranked 24th, I think. And in 2014, uh, basically, I think 2013 to 17, it was all like. Uh, like 120, 150, whatever, in their highest year uh, was 2014. Um, they had a payroll of $165 million. I think they ranked, like, fourth highest in payroll. And, you know, we all know the, the struggles of the Phillies. Like, money didn't seem to matter there. So the money was clearly there, but maybe they were just kind of waiting it out, you know, to get, you know, some bigger players, you know, not only to – you know try to bolster their lineup obviously but maybe to like they were saying this year like uh, terry pointed out you know they told the fans they were going to spend stupid money and uh three years 130 million or three years 13 years 130 million is is pretty freaking stupid i think they were stupid for doing it personally um and some philly fans uh, basically told me hey we don't care what you think and i was like hey i never said you did but uh, you know, it that's just way too long for me. I can only imagine you know, what they'd have to offer uh, trout or what any team is gonna offer trout if if Harper got that. but um, but yeah, it's just it, it was interesting to see the breakdown of how their uh, how their salary, you know had changed, and they still continued to basically be the same. It didn't seem to matter, you know, how uh, how much money they spent, you know, they dropped down to what it was and they were the same. It was as high. As the 165 and they still suck no matter what so who knows each each year can just be so freaking different
1: they actually i think their payroll currently is at 110 million so that's roughly 100 below the the luxury tax 96 million below oh. it to be exact and so that they could easily accommodate you know a uh, you know $35, 40000000 for Mike Trout. Reese Hopkins is uh, another one of their potential future megastars. He's controllable, I think, for five more years. Their ace, Aaron Nola, is um, under control for five more years. They still have two more years of uh, Arietta, So they're, they're pretty well positioned, about as positioned as anyone to you know, to be a a perennial contender for at least the next five or six years. And they have Harper for 13. So he, he could, (laughs) he could be there through two rebuilds before that contract ends.
3: Yeah. I saw they were talking about his Jersey sales, I guess have already surpassed any other sports, uh, any other player in any sport, I guess. And I was like, well, I mean, Philly fans know where he's going to be the next 13 years. he'll, He'll probably retire after that. So, if you're going to commit to a player you might as well commit to the 13 year particularly since he not being traded or any you no know, nothing's happened to him that's where he's going to be so
1: that's actually an excellent point because his jersey launch set the all-time record i think for the first definitely the first 24 hours and i think even the the first 48 hours the highest selling jersey of all time of any athlete in any sport. And so for those of you that are saying, oh, you know, pace of play, blah, 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 baseball's declining, I couldn't disagree more. And it's not 55-year-old men that are buying these jerseys. It's, it's middle schoolers, high schoolers, college kids, you know, thirty-five-year-olds who host podcasts probably yeah are buying women.
3: women yeah, women in their late thirties. That uh, actually, I've never bought. I have quite a few jerseys of various teams. Uh, only one raised one, which is really weird, and the player doesn't play for our team anymore. Unfortunately, it's not but, David uh, Price, is it? No. Well, I have a jersey shirt of his, but oh, okay. uh, like a T-shirt because before uh, when I was actually purchasing them myself. I couldn't bring myself to pay those jersey prices but every single jersey I own has been a gift so uh so I'm not going to besmirch a <laughs> gift and be like eh I don't want that so that's how I've got the variety that I've got right now but um but yeah you're right it's not you know older older fans you know what what do they usually have and may, maybe a t-shirt definitely a hat you know that's that's what the old timers are wearing they're not they're not going out and spending you know
0: 120 yeah, bucks I mean, on a jersey on,
3: Oh yeah, even if you did get a bootleg one you're still spending you at least 50 and, and and they're they're not doing that.
1: Right. Absolutely. I got a Dice K shirt for Christmas like in like 2012 like way after it was like remotely acceptable. And then in 2015 my brother's dumb as a rocks girlfriend who doesn't listen to this podcast by the way. Um Got me an Adrian Gonzalez canvas painting, and this is in like 2015, like three years after he left, and he was like really unpopular the last year and a half he was here. So, anyway, yeah,
2: you still with us, Jeremy? I'm sure she got i gr- oh. I'm sure she got a great price. Yeah, <laughs> she did. She did.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, uh, any any final thoughts before we wrap? Uh, um, no.
2: I'm
3: go sure. I think I'm good. I mean, I wish it would be warmer down here in Florida, but aside from that.
2: <laughs> come on. Yeah. Today's been brutally cold. Like, it was 50-something degrees when I was walking my dog this morning, and she did was, not like it.
3: It was 42 here in the yeah. morning. I I just hope it's warm. I'm going to be in Fort Myers this weekend, going to Red Sox Nets Saturday, and Red Sox-Rays just coincidentally because uh, – I wanted to go to a race game, and they just happened to also be playing the Red Sox um, on Sunday. So as long as the weather's good for that, I guess I shouldn't complain. But I know I'm sitting here right now in Florida in sweatpants, a sweatshirt, and uh, I should have fuzzy socks on because my feet are freezing. But needless to say, that's why I left Massachusetts.
2: Yeah, well, um, you know, if it helps Terry, and you know, I I doubt it will, I'll just let him know that my – pool is heated so uh, i'll be able to withstand it this this weekend even if it's a little chilly um it's 1 degree for thought, me right now yeah no they like fuck that <laughs> fuck just totally fuck that um final thoughts um for me are we are uh two and a half three weeks away from opening day um want to see where we are with the pitching rotation who they're going to settle on for the 5 uh assuming health and then who's going to be able to accept the role into the bullpen um at the end of the day the starting you know nine position players are pretty well established be interested to see if maybe there's a surprise young player that uh gets into the bullpen or uh and Terry loves these guys so I'll leave it for him uh and something maybe we can talk about the next podcast who emerges to fill in the, the obvious spots in the bullpen? Um, and then, you know, let's get the season started. Can't just can't wait to stop talking and speculation and more about, uh, you know, uh, talking on Wednesdays and Sunday nights after we've completed a three or four game set versus the, the, these teams. So just can't wait. Um, you know, we're that just that much closer to, to where the games matter.
1: Sounds good. And we'll start to see Chris' sale pitch. So, you know, we'll be looking at things like velocity and all that. And, you know, with price as well. And I don't think we're really Can't wait
2: to hear Terry's Terry's complaints when he's hitting 96 on the corner. You <laughs> yeah.
1: Know? Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be signed the next day if that happens. But who knows? And he might even be signed by the time we come on here again, you know, in a week or so or, or whenever the next big development takes place. So. All right, guys, good show. Uh, you know, we're, we're one show closer to opening day, so just uh, you guys might sweat out these last couple weeks. I'm going to freeze my ass off these last couple of weeks, but it's uh,
2: it's going to be here quick nonetheless. Terry, Terry, if it helps, I can send you pictures of palm trees and Snapchat <laughs> if it helps. It does not help. I
1: swear to God. I want to move so bad. If my girlfriend said, you know, tomorrow let's move. I, that's all it would take. I, I don't even care if I have a job lined up. Let's do it. <laughs> so, but, but
0: keep, uh,
3: keep an eye out on keep an eye out on my Twitter feed, uh, so you can be jealous that I'll be down there for the games. Hopefully, yeah. in the in the sunshine if the weather holds up. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Enjoy that be weekend. Fun. Good night. Good night to you both, and uh, we will we will talk soon. Yeah. Have
1: a good one, guys.
3: Have, have a good night
1: episode 116 in the book so we'll just kind of keep an eye on developments uh, on the field as well as possible extensions whatnot, injury watch hopefully nobody else fails for steroids but uh, we'll uh, be back in uh, no more than a week so everybody have a, a good uh, rest of your work week and a good weekend as well. Take care.